to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So let's live our best lives one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Hi, everybody. We are so glad you're here. Welcome to Episode 17 of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? Anything new going on? Well, you know, we had a big blizzard here in Alabama this week, you know. Yeah. We got like a half inch of snow. Well, we got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm not going to complain because while it was happening, it made me remember the, we're recording this in February, even though it's coming out the end of March. By the time this comes out, Sherry, it's going to be spring. I know. She, so Sherry excited. and I are, are spring and summer lovers, so we are very excited about that. But we're recording during the during the month of February, but it reminded me of the ice storm that we had in Augusta in 2000 and gosh, was it 2014, I think. And so it was, we had, we had no power for like a week and it, you know, shut us down. So I'm thinking about all the people all over and this will be a distant memory by the time the episode comes out. Yes. But I'm glad you got to see some snow. Ice storms, no, they're no good, but snow is pretty. Yeah, it wasn't bad at all. They were predicting awful awful weather and it didn't, you know, it didn't end up being anything. Of course, I'm, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up with snow and ice storms and moved here from Denver. So I just go out and do my thing. I'm not, not too worried about it. I'm I'm experienced. Yeah. I grew up in the seventies in Virginia. We lived in the mountains of Virginia near the Blue Ridge Parkway, near the Appalachian Mountains. And we were having a very cold decade. It was like, I remember at the time they were saying, are we entering an ice age? It was a very cold decade. So I remember it being really chilly and the lakes froze and, you know, every year the lakes froze and just we had lots and lots of snow. So I had to learn to drive in the snow. Thank goodness that I live somewhere where I don't have to do that now. So I guess, you know, in high school, my friends would pick, call me to pick them up and take them to work and take them to school. You're good at it. And then even like back in 2001, I worked at KU Med Center in Kansas City, and my coworker, she would always call me and be like, will you come pick me up on the way to work because it's snowing, it's icing, it's storming. And I, for some reason, I've just always been the wintertime driver. It doesn't bother me. You're a good, safe person. I'm fearless. That's Well, see, I have lots of fear <laughs> when it comes to driving and losing control. That's also why I'm bad at driving a boat. You don't feel in control? No. Mm. Mm-hmm. Driving in... On the snow and the ice, driving a boat. Is but driving what you say? Do you drive a boat? Is that you the drive right a boat? Yeah. Okay, driving a boat, piloting a boat, whatever. I'm not good at any of those things. <laughs> I'll just stay home. <laughs> well, you know, I mentioned I think last week that my first career choice was detective. Right. But when I was young, my first career choice was race car driver. I did not know that about you. Yes, we went to the dirt tracks every Friday night and watched. 
stock car races. And um, yeah, my I wanted to be the first big woman race car driver, but that didn't happen. But yeah, I love well, speed and I love cars, motorcycles, boats, sea dudes, you name it. I love it. So well, I just learned something new about you, and that is exciting. <laughs> I've actually drove a, a NASCAR race car I got for a Christmas present one year, years ago, probably 15 years ago, and oh, I wow, got to drive fun. on a super speedway. It was so fun. I don't think I would be able to do it. I'm trying to like picture myself driving really fast. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> I don't, probably don't want to ride with you either. <laughs> I'll stay on the sidelines, and I'll wave, and I'll cheer. How's that? Yeah, my mom didn't drive, but she rode. She was a passenger. And my mom is, like, terrified of – she's not an adrenaline junkie. I'm the right. opposite of her. But she did it. I was really <laughs> proud of her. She got in and rode with a professional driver. So, Well, that does make me think of when we went on the um, the second annual Delay Don't Deny cruise back before coronavirus shut all the cruises down. We went um, – we were in – where were we? Dominican when we, when you, Republic. Dominican Republic. Yep. You went and did zip lining while and I sat the by the pool. And the rides. <laughs> yes. I was like, see you at the other end of it. <laughs> yeah, I asked Jen, do you want to go? I had a bunch of women going. I was like, do you want to go? There? She's like, no. No, nope, I'm going <laughs> to sit by the pool and have a calm day. And that's what I did. And your pictures looked amazing. And I, I lived vicariously through you. It was amazing. So we always start our show with our good news segment. And today I'm going to share an email that was sent to us by a listener. She says, hi, Jen and Sherry. I love your new podcast. And when I heard your invitation for good news segments, I had to respond. This is an amazing story that happened to me in 2020. She calls it extravagant love delivered. February of 2020 started out rough for me. On February 6th, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And initially I had no idea what the next nine months would hold for me. So my husband and I started praying, gathering a support team, and putting one foot in front of the other with tests and appointments. Our daughter, Nikki, who lives with her family in the same town that we do, was due to have their third child in just a few days, so there was also some excitement in the air as well. Our beautiful grandson, Nolan, was born five days later. And side note, my brother wanted me to name my first child Nolan. Oh, he loved Nolan Ryan from baseball. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that just made me think of my brother when I read oh. that. Okay, back to the story. Our beautiful grandson, Nolan, was born five days later, and we were so happy to be able to care for their two daughters while they were at the hospital. Three days later was Valentine's Day, and a PET scan had been scheduled for me that day to determine what stage the cancer was so that the doctors would know how to proceed with treatment. This is not how we would have chosen to spend the morning, but we tried to stay optimistic, so we completed that and went out to lunch afterward. Trying to salvage our chance to enjoy the love we have shared for greater than 30 years, especially with all the unknowns ahead. When we arrived at home, we opened our door into the kitchen and found several flower arrangements waiting for us and a wonderful flower shop smell. We then proceeded to the living room and the dining room and found more and more arrangements. There were over 20 in all. We were stunned and speechless. It took some time for all the pieces to come together, but our daughter had contacted a local florist and our friends and family and offered them an opportunity to bless us on Valentine's Day 2020 so that it would not have to be remembered as the pet scan day. The response was overwhelming. Each arrangement had a card with it that included a verse or reference to encourage us in our journey. 
Because our daughter had just had a baby and had a two and three-year-old at home, she involved her husband and a close friend to go pick up the arrangements, store them at our church overnight where it was cold but not freezing, and then deliver them to our house on the morning of the 14th after we left for the PET scan. I am still touched to the point of tears when I think of our daughter's selflessness during a crazy time for their family and the generosity of our family and friends on our behalf. It was an extravagant message of love to us and many who are watching. I would love for this story to be shouted from the rooftops because it means so much to me and we are so proud of our daughter's love and I'm sure it would touch and encourage others who are struggling. That's a great story. Yeah, that was great. Very sweet. And you, we just passed Valentine's Day here. And so that was a year in the in the past. So I wonder, I wish we had an update as to how her cancer. Yeah, she just sent that email to me and she didn't really say anything about it. I'm hoping that everything's going well. Yep. So what I would like is for her to, in the groups when we share this in um, the Life Lessons Facebook group, when we share about the episode, come in and give us an update so we'll know how you're doing. Yeah, and this is my bad. I normally share who sent this to us, mm-hmm. and I, the name is I missed there. putting her name in there. So my so, bad. Yep, so, I'm sorry. But it's a beautiful story. We're glad that, that you shared it. So give us an update in the Facebook group if you're on Facebook. And if you're not, go to search for Life Lessons Community or Life Lessons with Jen and Sherry is the name of the Facebook page. Search for it and, and join us there. So listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life, like this story here. Um, Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast, and that's Beauty Counter. Beauty Counter's mission is to get safer products into the hands of everyone. Decades of studies indicate that serious health issues, including but not limited to asthma, cancer, and infertility, are on the rise and are due in some part to our ongoing exposure to toxic chemicals, whether it's in the shower, on our commute, while we eat lunch at a local restaurant, or when we clean our kitchens at home. There are more than 80,000 chemicals on the market today, and many don't have any safety data. This is particularly true of those used in the skincare and the beauty industry. What's worse is that the Food and Drug Administration, the agency that regulates cosmetics in the United States, does not have the authority to remove harmful ingredients from the products we put on our bodies and on our kids' bodies every single day, day after day. By starting to make the switch to Beauty County products, you will start eliminating toxic chemicals from your daily life a bit at a time. Switching to clean products does not have to be overwhelming. You can make a few small changes at a time. With every lessened exposure, you are reducing your risks. You don't have to go all in at once. As you start to run out of your current skincare products and makeup, start replacing each item with a clean beauty counter equivalent. And you can be sure that you are not being exposed to over 1,800 chemicals that beauty counter will never use in their products, some of which are banned in European countries. I've been using Beauty Counter for several months now, and like most of you, there was no way I could make the switch all at once. Each month, as I run low on stuff, I just replace it with Beauty Counter products. My skin has never looked better, and their products are not just hype. They feel and smell great, and they really work too. All of their formulas are super concentrated, and their makeup is highly pigmented, so a little goes a long way. I've had my Counter Time collection for about two months now, and I have hardly made a dent in it. 
If you want to learn more, go to lifelessonscommunity.com and go to the shop with us tab or visit beautycounter.com forward slash Sherry Bullock. And of course, you know, I did make the switch all at once. (laughs) As soon as I decided to do it, I was like, all right, I'm 100% in. So I got everything new. Isn't that funny? That's that's my personality. I am usually a 100% in girl, but yep. financially that just wasn't feasible for me. Well, that that makes sense, but so I had to baby step in. And I had to take it step by step, but I'm like all in with everything, which is it's my personality. It's the way I've always been, and it's funny to look back over the years the things that I went all in with and then changed my mind later. Like I think to, like to wacky diets that I did along the way. And I would go all in and I would throw away everything. And then I would do this wacky diet. And I'd be like, I hate it. Then I had to buy everything all over. <laughs> <laughs> but I did not go back with Beauty Counter. I'm still all in. Yes. And the more I get and the more I use, just the more I really love it. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's definitely worth it. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are going to talk about Be the Match. Thousands of people a year are diagnosed with life-threatening blood cancers like leukemia and lymphoma. Be the Match, which is operated by the National Marrow Donor Program, has managed the largest and most diverse marrow registry in the world in order to help save lives through bone marrow donation. Be the Match was founded when Laura, the daughter of veterinarian Dr. Graves, was diagnosed with leukemia. He and his wife were ready to do anything they could to save her life, so they turned to alternative treatment options. Can I jump in right here, Sherry, and just say something? Yes. It blows my mind to think that this was once considered an alternative treatment option because now it's just, you know, the standard of care. It doesn't seem... Right. Yeah. You know, I remember I had a cousin that had leukemia in in the 70s, and he actually died. So it's, you know, this hits really close to home for me as well. So carry on. So they agreed, him and his wife, to try the first ever bone marrow transplant for a leukemia patient from an unrelated donor. So that does tell me that there was some related donor transplants happening. Laura, their daughter, received her transplant in 1979, and it worked. The success of the treatment inspired the Graves family to give other families the same hope for a cure. Thanks to Dr. Graves, other families affected by these diseases doctors, congressional support, and funding from the U.S. Navy, and National Registry of Volunteers who were willing to donate bone marrow was born. Within the first year, an astonishing 10,000 people registered as donors. In 1987, they helped facilitate the organization's first bone marrow transplant when a woman from Wisconsin donated bone marrow to a six-year-old girl in North Carolina through their matching program. Now the program is worldwide, and they perform thousands of successful unrelated transplants each year. And here with us today is Mickey Phillips, who is going to share her inspiring Be The Match story. Welcome, Mickey. Thank you, ladies. I'm so happy to be here. We're so glad to have you because, you know, as I mentioned when Sherry was was introducing you, you know, as early as the 70s when my cousin, we were both kids at the same time, and I can remember, you know, going through this and um, he would come over to my grandparents and swim and then he did not survive his leukemia. And knowing that now there are these options out there to help is just, it's just getting the word out there is important. So yes, we're glad to have you. Thank you. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Tell us your story. Okay. I'll just share a little bit about my story. It started in 2001. My dad was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. His original symptoms he'd probably had for quite some time, but he 
chucked him up to getting older. He was approaching 50. He was 49 at the time. And he was having some night sweats and some, you know, some swollen lymph nodes in his groin. Saw the doctor. The doctor said, let's just keep an eye on him. And eventually he had some swollen lymph nodes in his armpit as well. So that's what prompted the doctor to finally send him somewhere for further testing. They sent him to the oncologist diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the oncologist at that point said, if you want to pick a type of cancer to get, it would be this one because it has the highest cure rate, but it also has the highest recurrence rate. So it probably will come back sometime in your lifetime since you're a young, you know, 49 male. And if it comes back, we'll deal with it then. So they put a port in his chest and he started chemotherapy. He had chemotherapy for six months. He was obviously sick, lost his hair, you know, all the the horrible chemo stuff, but it was successful. He didn't miss a day of work. He rode to his job in the boss's truck on the days where he was too sick to drive himself. And in April of 2002, he was put into remission. So obviously it was no fun for him, but they did get rid of his non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So it was, it was a day of celebration. Everybody was happy. A couple days later, he went out to the bar and had a couple beers with his buddies. And to celebrate, I'm cancer-free. Woke up the next morning and he had a bit of a headache, didn't feel well. My mom said, well, yeah, you probably drank too much last night. Gave him some medicine, put him back to bed. My sister was getting married in August, so my mom and my sister had gone shopping for wedding dresses and flowers and cakes and all of the the wedding stuff. And when they got home, my dad seemed to be worse than he was that morning. He was slurring his words, had started stumbling a little bit, and just something was off. So they called the doctor, and the doctor said, go immediately to the emergency room. And after numerous tests, they found out that he had three brain tumors. So originally, they didn't know if the brain tumors were related to the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or not. So they did some biopsies, and it came back positive that the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma had spread to his brain. Originally, being a you know family member of a patient in this situation, we were originally very angry and upset. Like, he'd had chemo for six months. Why... Why does he have these brain tumors? And there's something in your body called the blood-brain barrier where certain types of medications do not cross that barrier, and chemotherapy is one of them. So the six months of chemotherapy that he was having through the port in his chest were not even entering into his brain and his spinal cord. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So at that point, they put a port directly into his head, and they started doing chemotherapy directly into his brain. His brain tumors were non-operable, so they were in parts of his brain where they couldn't just go in and take them out because your brain is such an important organ. And they did chemotherapy directly through his port in his brain, and they did some radiation treatments to try and shrink the tumors themselves. At some point, they had talked about doing a bone marrow transplant, and they reached out to his four brothers and sisters to see if anybody was a match, and luckily, one of his sisters was a match for him. So he had a peripheral blood stem cell transplant on August 26th of 2002. And when we talk about, you know, bone marrow transplants, there's a couple of different ways to do them. One of them is the stem cell transplant, which is basically through blood. And the other one is a true bone marrow transplant, which is where they put the donor to sleep in an outpatient surgical setting. They use an anesthesiologist and they go in and take the bone marrow directly from the hip. And then they transfer that to the to the patient in need. The type of donation and the type of 
transplant depends on the patient themselves. I believe it has something to do with the type of cancer they have, that sort of thing. So it's it's not something that you can choose or the patient can choose or the donor can choose. You, you know, have to donate what the patient needs at that moment. He had to move to Denver. So we're in um, northern Colorado. And he had to move to Denver to be closer to the hospital during and after the transplant. They basically knocked his immune system down low enough that he was in the hospital for a few weeks prior to transplant because he was at high risk for contracting, you know, viruses and and infections and things. And then after the transplant, they wanted to keep him close. So my mom and him moved into a hotel right next to the hospital in Denver. Uh, My sister had gotten married at that point, and I moved back home to my parents' house to take care of the dogs and mow the lawn and, you know, pay the bills and that kind of thing. I was 27. And the transplant was successful. So what happens in a transplant is the the patient actually absorbs the, the donor's DNA. So they knew that the transplant was successful. My dad's body had accepted his sister's cells, but I think he was so far along in his in his cancer journey that maybe it hadn't done soon enough or maybe it wasn't strong enough. I don't really know the reason why, but it did not work to get rid of his cancer at that time. So he did ultimately pass away December 19th of 2002. He was 50 years old. Yeah, I'm so sorry. That's so, so young. Yeah. And it, you know, I'm 45 now. And so to think that five years from now, you know, my kids could be without me, although I was much older than my kids, but it, now that I'm older, it puts it certainly in more perspective for me on Mm -hmm. how young he really was, you know, back when it was happening, he was my dad and he was always an old man, you know, dads are always old men. But to think that I'm approaching that age now, it just proves how young he really was and how much life he should have had ahead of him. Right. I'm 51 now, so 50, 49, 50 sounds young. Absolutely, and it is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it it prompted my sister and I to sign up for the Be The Match. And I signed up in 2003. And it was, I guess, six and a half years later that I got a call saying, hey, we have someone you might be a match for. We need you to give some more blood. So I had gone to our local hospital and gave some more blood. They tested it. And came back and said, hey, you're, you're a perfect match. You're a great match. And it has to do with a lot of different typing and medical things that even I don't understand with a, with a slight medical background. But they came back and said, yes, you are the match for this patient. And we'll let you know. So I waited. And I waited quite a long time, reached out to the Be The Match organization saying, hey, what's going on? And, and they just kept saying, we're waiting on the patient. We don't know if he needs it yet. We don't know if he's ready. We don't know where he's at in his journey. Hang in there. We'll let you know. Uh, My husband and I had a son and we're thinking about having another baby. So it was, it was kind of a back and forth battle between myself and I guess myself knowing, do I stop trying to save someone's life to have a baby? Do I put off having a baby to save someone's life? And so I had waited long enough at that point, not knowing, you know, what, what the process was with this patient that I decided to put myself on hold. And with the Be The Match program, the hold is an automatic two years. So they take you off of the registry for two years to do whatever you need to do in your life. And one of the things the the person that I was speaking with at Be The Match was amazing. And one of the things she kept saying was, we don't want this process to affect people's normal lives. We want you Mm -hmm. to carry on. And if we need you and you're there, then that's great. But we don't want you to stop living to, to do this for someone. 
Now, did you have like one point person there that was like your caseworker? I did. Yes. Okay. And her name was Rose. And I don't know if she even works there anymore, but Rose, if you're listening, you were amazing. So, you know, I took myself off the list. It was two years. My husband and I did have another boy. He was born in March of 2012. And, you know, I had breastfed my first son for a year, was planning on breastfeeding my second son for a year. And when my son was six months old, I got a call from Be The Match saying, hey, your name popped back up. You're off of your hold. Are you available? And I said, absolutely, I'm available. And they said, okay, great. My question was, is it the same patient? So I had thought about this patient for two years, almost daily. What happened? Did, you know, did he pass away? Is he alive? You know, is it somebody else? I felt very selfish. I cried a lot. I kept telling my husband, you know, I I had to have this baby and I don't know if I affected somebody's life or not. And so it it was a struggle for me. It was a daily battle for me. And so when the Be The Match organization said, yes, it's the same patient, it was a day of rejoice. Did they reach out because they specifically needed you? Or do you think they always reach out when the two years is up? I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I know that they specifically needed me. During that two years uh, in speaking to the patient and the patient's family, he did need me during those two years. And they ended up doing a self-transplant. It's called an autologous transplant where they take his own stem cells and somehow beef them up. You know, again, medically, I don't understand it all, but it basically bought him some time. And I think for some people, that's an effective treatment. In his case, he needed the extra stem cells from a donor, which was me. And so I went on to donate the peripheral blood stem cells. And that donation was in January of 2013. Can you explain how that process worked that day, the donation from your side of it? Yeah. So uh, leading up to the donation, basically what they have to do is they send you, they mail you some injections and they find a place for you to get the injections. You know, it's a, it's a shot in the arm or a shot in the tushy, however you want it. And basically the, the point of the injections is to beef up the stem cells and the bone marrow inside your bones. So you get those injections once a day for five days prior to donation. So I luckily worked at a doctor's office. I worked for a cardiovascular and thoracic surgeon at that point who was very happy to, you know, shoot me up with needles and get get me back for all the times I put him behind schedule. But I had the injections at work. Side effects, I had some some headaches and some bone pain. Um, they're beefing up the stuff inside your bones. And so they're, they're basically making it full. And so that's kind of what it felt like was that I had a headache because my head was full and my, you know, hips hurt because they were full. Day five was donation day. So I got a shot that morning and then went to the donation center and I was hooked up to a machine, one needle in one arm, one needle in the other arm, almost like a blood donation. They just stick it in your vein. And they pull the blood out of from one arm. They run it through an apheresis machine and take the, the healthy, thriving stem cells out. And they put what they don't need back into your body through the other arm. It was about a seven, eight, nine-hour process. I don't remember how long it was, but it was long. My husband was with me the the entire time, he actually fed me chicken nuggets and French fries because I can't couldn't <laughs> bend my arms, you know. And so after that, they shipped my stem cells off to the patient, and he received the transplant. 
He received the transplant and it was successful. So again, they can test to see if his body received my, my cells. He did do some rejection. It's called graft versus host disease that some people go through where basically their body says, ooh, what is this? We don't, we don't need this. But there's treatments for it. There's different you know, side effects and things that the body can go through during transplants like this. But he survived and he's alive now. It's been how many years? Eight years since transplant. And we keep in touch on Facebook. His mom and his dad and his sister actually came to visit me. They were driving through on vacation and said, we want to meet you. So that was an amazing experience to kind of meet his family. I keep in, like I said, I keep in touch with him on Facebook and every once in a while he'll send me a message or I'll send him a message. And his mom sends me flowers occasionally with a cute little card that just says, thank you for saving my son's life. I got an amazing message from his wife. And it was it was pretty neat. After you know the year, there's a the HIPAA policy or the privacy policy that you can't know anything about each other for a full year after donation. And so for that year after donation, I was thinking, how did it go? How's he doing? And when that year came up and they called and said, do you want the patient's information? I knew that he was alive. And that was a big relief to me again. That's amazing. And so just knowing that, you know, he's this young guy and and you've saved his life, and his whole family is so grateful to you for that, and that's amazing. So, you know, we mentioned briefly earlier that when you give someone your bone marrow, they they get your DNA. So he's now he's now you. He partly. is yes, he is partly <laughs> me. And I I sent him a Facebook message on our seventh donation anniversary that said, "Happy seven years, just checking on you. How are you doing?" And he said, "I'm doing great. I just you'd be happy to know I have not left your DNA at any crime scenes yet." Love so, it. so you know, we hear those stories of people who have some sort of transplant, and then they're like something about them changes. Has he changed at all to be more like Mickey? I don't know. You know, I've never actually <laughs> met him. He's an amazing person. Maybe he's craving chicken nuggets and maybe, fries. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I might have to ask him. But he's amazing. He's, you know, he was in his 20s at the time of the transplant with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which was the same type of cancer that my dad had. So that was that was kind of symbolic to me. He's married, you know, high school teacher. He's doing great. So it's it's awesome. He was a teenager when he was first diagnosed. I don't know for sure when he was first diagnosed. I'm as far as I remember when I was when Be The Match originally reached out to me, they had said he was 24 at the time. Okay. Oh, okay. So I think at the time of his transplant, he was probably 28, maybe. Okay. Was he married when he had his transplant? Do you yes, know? he was. He was? Yeah. Okay. Because I thought that would be really surreal for his wife to, to think that, you know, she owes her marriage to you, kind of. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she still does, but... Yeah. And she's reached out to me as well. She could have potentially never met her husband yeah. if if he hadn't had the transplant. Yeah, I think I think they were already together when when he had the transplant and everything. Yeah. So transplant doesn't just affect one person though. No, That's right. it's got yeah. this ripple effect. Absolutely. So for people who are listening, you know, people who are like, wow, you know, I want to do what Mickey did. Walk us through the process of how someone could sign up to be on the, the registry. Okay. So the easiest way is to go to bethematch.com, and there's a link that says join the registry, and you click on it, you enter your information, and they will mail you a kit. 
Basically what the kit is, is it's a big long Q-tip that you put inside your mouth and you swab your cheeks. It's as simple as that. You pop it back in the tube and you mail it back to them and you're on the registry. Back when I signed up, I actually got a donor registration card, which I don't know if they still do because it's been so long, but it's like a little, you know, social security card or credit card that has your information on it. And then you're on the registry. So if they have a patient that you know, I don't know how they how they do the typing and stuff to see who might be a potential match. But if they have a patient that might be a match, then they'll reach out to you for more blood donation in your area to see if you're a closer match to that patient or not. But the process is so simple. And it's free. And you it's free. You just click. They send it. You swab. Boom. You're on the list. You're on the list. Mm-hmm. So Sherry and I have been talking about this, and we want to have kind of a virtual drive, a, a bone marrow donation registry drive in the Life Lessons community. So in our Facebook group, Life Lessons with Jen and Sherry, we're going to put up a survey as this episode comes out. And we'll tag it, Sherry, with Be the Match, I think. Uh And so, you know, as of the date of recording this, we have um, somewhere around 9,000 group members. So I think a good goal would be, you know, when we talked about early on and Sherry was introducing the concept there were 10,000 people registered as donors in the first year that that registry the registry ever occurred. So, a good goal for us, let's say 1,000 members. Let's see if we can get 1,000 members to agree to go to be the match.com and just get the swab, send it in, that's it. What do you think yeah. about that, Sherry? I think that's great. And it's important to know that this is a worldwide organization, so no matter where you are listening to this, Uh, You can sign up and do this. And ethnic background is really important because patients are likely to be matched with someone of the same ethnicity. So um, people that are of a a less uh, common ethnicity, uh, you know, they're the pool that they're going to be pulling bone marrow uh, donors from is going to be, you know, much smaller. So that's something to consider. They really prefer their donors be between the ages of 18 and 44. Doctors request that donors in that age group, like 86% of the time is a, is a fact that they've given here, that 86% of the time doctors request donors in the 18 to 44 age group. So if you're in that age group, it's extra important, you know, that they want, they want you. But is it okay if you're over 44? Well, you know, I was just scrolling through and looking at that and age guidelines protect the safety of the donor and provide the best possible outcome for the patient. They are not meant to discriminate. So they really do want you to be, to best serve patients and to demonstrate responsible stewardship over the funds entrusted to us. We do require individuals age 45 and over to cover their own costs to join the registry. And the total cost to add a new member to their registry, they say is about $100. So that if you're over 45 and you're not able to donate, that they ask you to participate in doing a fundraiser or host a drive or volunteer or just spread the word to others. So that actually just made me sad. You and I are... We're too old. We're too old. (laughs) And I think a lot of the members of our group are probably... So instead of... How about this? Instead of you know, committing on our website on the, the, we'll have the form. Let's, let's have everyone click how they can help. So maybe they can share this episode and get someone else to sign up for the registry who's in that age range. Mm -hmm. And that can count as well. Or share the website on your personal Facebook page or, 
you know, tell people that you know that are in that age group that would be willing to help. So we want to have at least a thousand people who commit to take action by signing up for the registry themselves if they are between the ages of what was it, eighteen to forty-four, or doing an action that would encourage other people to sign up. So that could even have a larger ripple effect than just a thousand. If if a thousand people ask for other people, then that multiplies the message. Right. And I think you guys have a great forum to do that. You know, that's that's part of the reason why I was happy that uh, that I'm here. That's the only thing that I want to accomplish in my life is just spreading the word, getting the word out there and let everybody know, you know, it's it's such a simple thing to do to to help somebody and somebody's family. And it's amazing. It, it really is. It's a very selfless act that you can do that really takes minimal effort on your part. And I have uh, my own donation background in that my brother was a heart and lung transplant recipient. However, it took him too long to get his organs and his body had really just given up by the time he had his uh, transplant surgery and he did not survive the surgery. And so like you, I'm a big advocate for um, donate life and um, making sure people, you know, know about there's a lot of myths and facts about organ donation and tissue donation and bone marrow donation. So just really educating and advocating and and putting the word out there because you, it's such an easy thing to do. Especially Mm -hmm. with organ donation. I mean, you can do it with the click of the button anymore. There's an app. I mean, Apple has it on your phone that you can register. So, yeah, just don't keep all your good stuff to yourself. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, a friend of mine just went through this. A girl, um, she's a nurse locally here in Augusta, and she was part of my Delay Don't Deny coffee group where we would meet on Saturday mornings. And her mother just went through this exact thing. She They traveled to be close to a, a donation center. Her mother um, was the recipient of stem cell transplant from, you know, it was a young guy that donated to, to her mother. And I, th- I think he was from Europe or something. And they didn't know a lot about him. The year had not gone by. But, you know, hearing her talk about going through it as a, a family member and supporting her mother through the process. And her mother's doing well right now. So that's that's good news. That's great. And that is so Crazy to think that, you know, she got a transplant from somebody in Europe. So, I mean, you just never know who you can help. Right. And I was just going to add on to Jen's story. It was interesting for me to see both sides of it, you know, being a family member of, you know, my dad having the cancer and seeing his journey through the transplant. And then also my journey being a donor. And the only thing I can say is that my part was so easy. I hardly had to do anything. And what my patient, I call him my patient, I don't know why, I always have, but what my patient had to go through to get to that point was so much harder and was so much more work. And he is just amazing and resilient and strong. And my part was a piece of cake. So anybody who's, you know, concerned about it being this this big thing and they don't know if they're they're wanting to commit to it, all I can say is do it because the rewards in the end the way that you feel knowing that you've helped someone, it stays with you forever. It, it really does. And it's it's an amazing feeling to know that somebody's alive because of something that I did. That really is amazing. So everybody who's listening, again, just to recap, how can you help? If you're in that age range, 18 to 44, go to com and click on join the registry. Is that the wording that they have? Join the registry. They'll send you yes. the kit. Join the you bone marrow registry. Yep. You'll mm-hmm. send it back. 
That's it. And then you just, you know, maybe 10 years from now, you'll get that phone call and and they'll they'll have someone whose life you can save. And if you're above that age range, like Sherry and I are, <laughs> then I want you to commit to sharing this, you know, share this episode on your um, on your Facebook page or with people that you know, or you know people who are younger than 45, encourage them to participate. And then go to Life Lessons um, with Jen and Sherry on the Facebook page. And, you know, look for our survey, be the match. You can use the keyword search and then just click to show that you've taken part. Yes, Sherry. It's important to say, too, that you're not excluded if you're over 45. If you're between the ages of 45 and 60, you will be added to the registry. You could potentially be used, you know, as a donor, but that you have to do the registry online and that they said they may ask you to make a $100 payment to cover the cost to join the, okay. the, the registry. They may. They may. They may not. Right. Okay. So you, it's worth a, worth a it's shot. It's worth a shot. Worth a try. Yeah. I'm going to get, when we get done here, I'll, I'll log in and, and do mine and see what, see what they say for me. Yeah. And I would say, especially if you're, you know, a healthy, mm-hmm. uh-huh. a healthy 50, you know, obviously that makes a difference and you do have to have clearance from your primary care doctor to, you know, proceed. But I was just going to share a funny story if we have time. We do. Okay. So when I was sitting on the table and my husband got done feeding me chicken nuggets, originally when I had signed up, the paperwork that I was given said that you would be given a bedpan if you needed to use the restroom during donation. So that was, you know, interesting. I've never personally used a bedpan before, but I thought, you know what, I can do anything if I have to. You're hooked up to a machine for what, eight hours? Yeah, at least eight yeah. hours. And so I thought, that's that's easy peasy, you know, whatever. And so when I got to the donation center, she handed me an adult diaper and I said, well, what's this for? And she said, well, we request that you put it on in case you have to, you know, go to the bathroom. And I said, well, I thought I was going to use a bedpan. And she was like, well, we don't have any. And we were encouraged. And I said, I'm not wearing an adult diaper. I'm not. Oh, and no. she said, even if you think you don't have to, we ask that you do it. Because if you have to pee during your donation, it's going to be much easier if you already have it on than if we have to try and put it on you. And I was like, okay, fine. So I put on this adult diaper and it was probably a good six hours in where I started to to feel the tingle a little bit in my bladder and thought, I might have right. to go to the bathroom. And I thought, I, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I can wait. You know, it's almost like being on a long road trip where you don't know where the next exit is, right? Right. So I can wait. I can wait. And so... The at one point she said, Are you okay? And I said, Well, no, I, I have to go to the bathroom. And so she said, Well, let me leave the room and give you some privacy. My husband had already left to go out to lunch with his brother. She said, Let me leave the room to give you some privacy. And I said, Okay. So she left the room and I was sitting in the bed and I thought, okay, just just pee. And it was a <laughs> mind over matter. Like uh-huh. thank oh, yes. you, mom, for doing such a great job potty training because I could not pee my pants. I could not. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even imagine. Now I'm like sitting here imagining it. Seriously, to just let it go while you're sitting in a bed was, it was so unnatural. And to be honest with you, I didn't. I, you know, by the time I was done with my donation, my (laughs) bladder was in spasms and it it all worked (laughs) out fine. But to think, like I said, thank you, mom, because I could not pee my pants. (laughs) <laughs> so that's my that's my funny story that I have to share with everyone. Oh gosh! Well, if that's the worst thing that happens it during was. the during the donation process for the donor, then we can we can do it. Yep. Now I really have to go to the bathroom. Yep. 
scary. <laughs> Sorry. Jen and I would be in trouble because we stop like every hour and a half when on the way When we take a road beach. trip, yeah. we do. We, we stop a lot. Yeah. I'm going to bring a bedpan. That's that's what I've just learned. Just wear an adult diaper and just you won't have B-Y-O-B-P. to stop them. B-Y-O-B-P. <laughs> Well, Mickey, thank you so much for being with us today. And again, everyone go to bethematch.com, then go to Life Lessons with Jen and Sherry if you're on Facebook and look for, you know, use the keyword search, look for the topic, Be The Match. We'll have an announcement posted when this episode comes out and click yes, that you're going to either sign up on the registry or you're going to share with other people. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here and spread the word. Thank you for reaching out and for being here. Thank you. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast, and that is Manta Sleep. As a night shift worker, I have been a longtime wearer of sleep masks. Like if I see any light when I'm sleeping, I really struggle to either fall asleep or stay asleep. I'm also a side sleeper, and I feel like this makes finding a good sleep mask extra difficult. The ones I've tried before that had like the cups in them that don't rest on your eyes. When you sleep on your side, they gape and then light comes in. So I ended up choosing a flat silk mask to use and it worked well, except my eyelashes have suffered greatly and the elastic band has really damaged my hair. Over the past few months, several friends kept sharing with me that they had started using a Manta sleep mask and that it had really made a difference in their sleep. It's a completely customizable cup style mask that you can adjust for your unique face shape. I was concerned about light leaking in, but with their generous 60-day satisfaction guarantee, I had nothing to lose. The first night was a little bit of a learning curve, but with some adjustments, I was able to position the cups so that they were not only comfortable, but they didn't allow light in at all. It is like complete blackout. They don't touch my eyelashes, which is great. There is no elastic band, and since I chose the silk version mask to help with wrinkle prevention, it's super smooth against my face and my hair as well and I love it. They have weighted versions, aromatherapy versions, warm and cool cup components that you can use with your regular band. Um, And like I said, it's totally customizable for your face and your needs. They offer a six month warranty as well. You really can't go wrong by giving them a try. Having great sleep is so important for overall health. So if you're interested in checking this out, go to lifelessonscommunity.com forward slash Manta sleep. That's M-A-N-T-A S-L-E-E-P for a link to check this great product out. And when you use our link, you help support this podcast. Awesome. You know, I've been struggling with, you know, light myself and I have had a hard time sleeping with a mask. So I'll have to try this one. It mainly was a problem when I would go to the beach and so much light was coming in through the window. So I'll have to try it. Well, I guess yours is customized to you though. So I'll have to get my own. Well, so what it is, is it's a band Mm-hmm. And then you have these cups, and then you can position them. They're like Velcro. And so okay, you can move them around. And, like, I struggled at first because where I had them positioned, the strap was, was wrong. over my ears. Okay. And that was bothering me a little bit. And I finally realized that, like, I had to bring the cups down a little bit, and I had to angle them a little bit more. And so you can, like, everybody's eye shape's different. So you just, and your bridge of your nose is different. And so would they try to make them, you know, one size fit all? Well, this, you can spread them apart or bring them closer or angle them or whatever. So yeah, I played around with it a little bit and I got it. It's great. 
I have to thank all my friends that recommended it. Awesome. All right. So now it's time for our listener-led lesson. It might be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. Today's listener-led lesson comes from a Life Lessons community member named Katrina. So members of our community often voice the desire to implement change, whether it's a new habit to incorporate or something they a habit they'd like to break, maybe. So Katrina says, I'd like to share a strategy that helped me to overcome the biggest challenge I've faced in my life, which was self-medication and addiction to alcohol. I don't want to make light in any way of the seriousness of addiction, including the toll it takes on the addict's family and community. My journey so far has been difficult, but I do want to share a technique I found incredibly effective that easily translates to other areas of life. A lot of people have reasons of great magnitude for why they choose sobriety. Maybe their health is failing, their family poses an ultimatum, or they are threatened with the prospect of losing their job. Those were happening to me, too. But the real reason I ultimately got sober was actually a little frivolous by comparison. It all came down to my daily exercise routine. For the better part of my life, I've committed to some kind of exercise first thing in the morning. It sets the tone for my day, makes me feel physically great, and aids in my mental health. I've suffered from depression and anxiety all of my life. Sometimes it's just a long walk, but I also lift weights, run, and practice yoga. In my 20s and early 30s, I could easily muscle and power through my daily hangovers. But as I got into my mid-30s, my health started to be affected by my alcohol intake and my morning workout time that I considered precious to me started to suffer. I still did them, but they were a chore and I was no longer experiencing the positive benefits, not to mention the weight gain that came with a steady supply of alcohol. When the time came for me to begin my sober journey, there were lots of reasons read excuses, why I thought I would fail. I could just drink at this one event or stay up drinking all night this one time. But the truth is, it would never be just that once. I needed a reason I could turn to so I would make the right choice consistently every time. So each time I tried to convince myself that it would be okay to drink, I reminded myself that the morning and my workout would eventually come. And if I was committed to doing my workout, I needed to make the choice that would set me up for success. Sometimes that choice was the only reason I didn't drink. Your listeners may not be struggling with something so grave as choosing sobriety, although maybe some of you are, and I'm sending you a great big virtual hug. But even if you just want to start eating broccoli or going to bed a half an hour earlier or setting aside time each week for a session of meditation, a great place to start is to identify a reason why, no matter how small or selfish, something that will either be negatively impacted if you do or don't do the behavior, or something positive. It works both ways. A lot of people may carry a physical object to help bring them back to their why as a literal way to connect, but you don't have to. Sorry this was so lengthy, but I felt it was important to give some context. Maybe I'll be a guest of Jen's someday on her Intermittent Fasting Stories podcast and tell the rest of my story Thank you, ladies, for all you do. You are the reason and the light for so many of us. Forever grateful, Denise. P.S. I've been sober for almost a year and intermittent fasting since April 2020. My life has become incredibly healthy and really very beautiful. Always remember your why. That's wonderful. I loved that. Yep. 
Yeah. And the reason that that really, you know, rings so true for me is because, you know, I didn't start every day with a hangover, but I did noticed that I was reaching for alcohol more. It was after I retired from teaching and I switched to dry farm wines, which is, you know, quote, better for you, less alcohol, no sugar. I'm like, it's healthy. You know, and after I researched for Feast Without Fear, my second book, you know, it talked about, you know, having wine in the blue zones and it was part of a healthy way of living. So I kind of made that excuse to bring wine in every day and not just one glass, but maybe two. Sometimes it might be three, and I realized I wasn't feeling my best, and so I drink a lot less alcohol now. I'm not going to say I'm never going to drink again, but gosh, I can't think of the last time I had wine. A few weeks ago, I had a a glass or so. And your why is you noticed that you weren't sleeping well at all and feeling Mm -hmm. well the next day when you were drinking. When it really clicked with me is when... I can't even remember how the conversation came up, but I we might have been talking about, you know, genetically, you can be a slow caffeine metabolizer or a fast caffeine metabolizer. And Sherry, you are a slow caffeine yes. metabolizer, right? So you have to watch out. You can't have too much caffeine. I'm the opposite. I'm a quick caffeine metabolizer. I can drink caffeine all the time. I'm fine. My body clears it quickly. So I was like, maybe... That, you know, there's something with alcohol. I didn't even think about that. You know, we're all told, you know, so many rules of thumb that we're told we think apply to everyone. Like your body metabolizes a drink an hour. We've all heard that. But that's well, an guess average. What? That's an average. Exactly. If you are a slow alcohol metabolizer like me, then you may not. So I had my DNA analysis from 23andMe. So I downloaded that, ran it through a platform that I knew would tell. People are going to ask. I'm going to tell you the one is, which one was it? Gino Palette? Gino Palette. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm not endorsing Gino Palette. So, you know, just FYI, they're not sponsoring the podcast. They're not an advertiser, but that's just the platform that gave me the information about my alcohol metabolism. And sure enough, I'm a slow alcohol metabolizer. And so that makes sense. That's why my body doesn't clear it as quickly. That's why it kind of builds up. And so I'll be, you know, I'll have a little bit of alcohol. I'm fine. But if I start, you know, having too much, it hits me all of a sudden. And then it takes a long time for my body to clear it. So, you know, I'd go somewhere with my friends from college or with Sherry (laughs) and other friends and have more to drink than normal. And then the next day, everybody who drank the same amount as me would be fine. And I would feel so bad. Suddenly, it all makes sense. Mm -hmm. I have, um, we talked last week, a listener-led lesson was about trash bags and how if you put your trash bags at the bottom of the trash can... They're readily available to replace. So you don't ever have that, why didn't somebody put the trash bag back problem? So I was telling somebody at work about this hack because I'm like, oh my gosh, I have this great hack. And I told him and he said, well, do you know the other thing about trash bags? And I said, no. So do you know that trash bags are packaged inside out? No. Okay. So yeah. So you know how you try to open your trash bag and then you're like flapping it around in the air to get it full of air? Yes. And the cats are scared. Okay. They're running. Yeah. That's not how you're intended to put a trash bag in your trash can. What? No. So you are supposed to pull apart the edge of it Uh and then just put it on top of the trash can like a hat almost. Okay. And then you push it into (gasps) the trash can. Oh, goodness. Okay. Try it. I'm good. Now I'm like going to go take the trash out even if we don't need to. And I'm gonna... <laughs> it's so much easier. 
I was oh like, gosh. oh my gosh, this just blew my mind. Well, and there you go. And if you get the drawstring bags ones, the drawstrings were always on the inside and I never knew why, but they're not supposed to be on the inside. They're supposed to be on the outside. Okay. So. Fabulous. At the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. And today's quote comes from Pam. She writes, years ago, I was so close to my decision to separate from my husband. And I was sitting in a park with a friend from work. One of our regular customers passed by and she stopped to chat. She noted that I seemed a lot more serious than usual. And I shared what I was facing. She said, if you're going through hell, keep going, which is a Winston Churchill quote. I thought for a second and I asked her what she meant. And she said that if you're in the middle of something that's awful, don't just sit there, make your way out. Pam says, mind blown. Just as it had taken one tiny thing to push me over the edge toward separation and divorce, this tiny interaction with a customer was the key to the one of the most critical mind shifts I've ever experienced. Speed epilogue, separated, divorced, grew, learned, dated, found love, married, bliss. I love that speed epilogue. That was fabulous. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Pam. If you're going through hell, keep going. Love it. Don't just sit there. Make your way out. People do that. They do marinate in their troubles and they, well, you know, and that's they feel true. stuck. Yep. But if you can take any action, we'll get you unstuck. That's very good advice. Well, this has been a wonderful episode. Thank you to everyone who joined us today. Don't forget to join our Facebook community. It's called Life Lessons with Jen and Sherry. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast through whatever podcast app you're listening to it on today. We would also love for you to leave a review on iTunes so that we can reach others. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or Do you have an area of expertise that you want to share as our featured guest for the week, like Mickey, that we had this week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.